Hello, it's great to be in church today. My name's Bradley, I'm part of the young adults team here at C3, part of the Connect team. But today I have the privilege to come and share with you as we continue our series on the Apostles' Creed. And during this series, we started each week by standing together and reading the Creed, which we're going to do in a moment. But before we do that, I just wanted to give us a quick reminder of why we're taking time to go through the Creed, time to, to take this series to look at the Creed. The Apostles' Creed is a, is a statement of faith. It's a statement of what we believe of what we as a church, not just C3, but what we as a universal global church believe. It unites us through history with millions of Christians who would have professed the same fundamental beliefs. And as we, as we look at the creed, it's important to remember that we don't consider it part of the Bible. We don't consider it to be inspired word of God like we do the Bible. But we do believe that the creed is inspired by what the Bible teaches. The creed is a kind of a good, concise summary of what the Bible teaches. And so what we've been doing, what we're going to continue to do today is taking a statement from the creed and then unpacking it and seeing where the biblical root comes from. Why is that statement included in the creed? What does the Bible teach us about that statement? And we're going to continue that today. But first, we're going we're gonna to stand. Um, I know you've just sat down, but I'm going to ask you to stand again quickly. And we're going to read the creed all together in one voice. I believe in the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again just the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may grab your seats as you do so. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just say, I believe. I believe. I believe. Great. And as I said, we're about halfway through this series. We've looked at a lot of stuff that's happened. We've looked at Jesus' birth. We've looked at Jesus' death, his resurrection. But today we're going to, rather than looking back, we're going to look forward. We're going to look at an event that we often call the second coming or judgment day, maybe the return of Jesus. We're going to be looking at the statement from the creed, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. Because we believe that there is a day when Jesus will return. But this day that Jesus will return, when we, when we look at that, when I started to, to research for today, I started to realize that there's a lot of confusion about that day. And that can maybe make us shy away from understanding it. Because we, we look, we see the confusion, we see the controversy, and we go, oh, I'll, I'll leave that bit alone. But we need, to be, we need to understand this day because amongst the confusion and controversy, this is something that's fundamental to our faith. It's fundamental to what we believe. And I think we should be excited about this day and we should have a hope for this day. In writing to, to Titus, Paul describes the return of Jesus as our blessed hope. This is our blessed hope this day of our King returning. But unfortunately, we do get lost sometimes in the confusion 
and the controversy, but we should be excited. I'm sure there's something that we're all excited about at the moment. Maybe you've got a holiday planned in the summer, maybe school's about to break up, college is about to break up, maybe you've finished your university exams or you're nearly there and you're excited to be finished, to be free. Maybe you're excited about some family who's coming to see you over the summer or some friends that you're going to visit. Or maybe you're even those people who are already excited about Christmas. I know there's people out there who are already excited about Christmas yet. Some here today counting down the days. You know, you can get those apps now that count down the days, the number of sleeps until Christmas, all that. Because when we get excited about something, we do, we count down the days, we count down the moments, we think of what it's going to be like on that day when we're united with our friends or when we get onto that holiday and we can just relax. We look forward to it, we anticipate it. I remember when I was about nine and my auntie got engaged and they started planning the wedding. And I was really excited because uh, my auntie asked me to be a page boy in the wedding and I was like really excited. And then because she was marrying a Scotsman and the wedding was gonna be in Scotland and he was gonna be wearing a kilt and the other guys in the wedding were gonna be wearing a kilt, they asked me if I would like to wear a kilt. And I don't know why because it's basically like wearing a skirt, but I was really excited about this idea. I guess it was novel and different, and I heard that there was a little plastic dagger that you have in your sock, and I was like, yes, this is great. I was really, really excited. Months of anticipation, and eventually on the day of the wedding, um, I got given the kilt, like this is the kilt you're gonna wear, Brad. And I was possibly a little bit too excited because even though it was like probably nine o'clock in the morning and we hadn't had breakfast, we hadn't had lunch, and then we were going to spend the afternoon, but I couldn't wait. I was like, can I put the kilt on now? And I was like, no, you need to wait. And I was like, no, no, I'll put it on now. I'll be ready. I want to be ready for the wedding. I want to be ready for the day. I was excited. And I think we should all be just as excited about the return of Jesus as I was about that day. In fact, we should be a little bit more excited, possibly. We should be definitely be more excited about the return of Jesus, because our King is coming back. Our King is coming back. And my heart in sharing this message today is that we would recapture some of the hope and some of the excitement that we have for when Jesus returns. And I want us to do that by looking at three questions. The first question is this, how will he come? How will Jesus return? The Bible talks a lot about how Jesus will return. There's, there's visions, there's prophecies, there's metaphors, there's poems, there's parables that will describe the return of Jesus, what this day will be like, what will happen. It has a lot to say. But one thing the Bible doesn't tell us, and one thing that actually causes a lot of the controversy and confusion is about when it will happen. When will this day happen? When will Jesus return? But Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, 36, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So I'm off the hook. I don't need to explain to you today when this is going to happen. We don't need to worry about that because Jesus says we don't know. We need to be ready at all times. But we can look, and this is where I'd love us to focus as we start, on how it will happen. How will it happen on that day? And there's many great passages that I could have picked, and I encourage you to go away and to, to read more passages on what the Bible has to say about this day, because they all, they all talk about slightly different details. They all knit together, but I have only have time to focus on one today. So I'm going to focus on a passage from Matthew, Matthew 25, 31 to 34, where Jesus is continuing the conversation where he's told his disciples that you don't know when it's going to happen and how to be ready. And then he gives them a bit of a description of how it will look on that day. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, 
He will sit on a glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. All the angels will be with him. All the nations will be gathered before him. See, Jesus paints this picture here, and we see it in other descriptions in Daniel, in Isaiah, in Revelation, that all make it clear that this day when Jesus returns is going to be very different from how he first came. The Christmas story teaches us that Jesus came as a baby, born in a stable, tiny infant boy, born in a small town where people in that town missed Jesus' arrival. Maybe the innkeeper even missed the significance and the importance of the child that was born that day. To this day, people still question, did that really happen? But on this day, when Jesus returns, there will be no questions. There will be nobody that misses it. There will be nobody who thinks, is that Jesus? Or there will be no, did it happen? Was that Jesus coming? Jesus will come in view of all nations. He'll be in front of all people. We will know. He'll come in glory. He will come in majesty. He won't come back as a babe in a manger. He'll come back as a king on a glorious throne. Jesus is coming back. It's a scriptural certainty. He's coming back in glory. He's coming back in the majesty that we sang about. He's coming back in power with complete authority. He's coming back seated on a glorious throne. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul describes it this way. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel with the trumpet call of God. The trumpet call of God is not going to be quiet. That is going to be a loud noise. And then it says the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, all who are still alive will be left and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul is saying that on that day when Jesus returns, those who have died previously will be raised to life. That's why we get this idea that he'll judge the living and the dead, because all people, those who are alive at the time and those who have died previously, will be, will be together, will be stood before Jesus. All nations, billions of people. And then in the description in Matthew, we get this picture that after all nations of Jesus' arrival, all nations gathered, all people before him. And then we get this curious story about sheep and goats. Why did Jesus talk about sheep and goats at this point? Well, I believe that Jesus had, well, Jesus had told his disciples previously in John 10 that he was the good shepherd. That he was the good shepherd. So he's using this language to his disciples of sheep and goats because he's saying, hey guys, I'm the good shepherd and I'm coming back for my sheep. I'm coming back for you guys because I am the good shepherd. And the thing about a shepherd, especially a good shepherd, the good shepherd, is he will know who his sheep are. When Jesus comes back on that day and there's billions of people stood before him, there'll be no mistaken identities. There'll be no mixing up the sheep and the goats and accidentally have goats in with the sheep. No, no, no. Jesus, the good shepherd, he knows his sheep. He was coming back for his sheep. There'll be no mistakes. 
And then it says he'll place them on the right. The right in the Bible is a significant place because it's the place of blessing, the place of inheritance. The right hand signifies blessing and inheritance, which as someone who's left-handed is rather disappointing. But um, the right hand is the place of blessing. And Jesus says that the sheep will be on the right. And then he says this, there'll be an inheritance for the sheep on that day. There'll be an inheritance for us as followers on that day. And this inheritance is a big reason why we should be really excited about this day. Because this is what it says in Revelation 21 about the inheritance that we're going to receive. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And in this place, it says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Our inheritance, this new heaven and new earth, is a place where there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, and a place where God will dwell with us in his fullness. It's great to be in worship this morning, to experience God's presence, to experience God's spirit. And it can do amazing things breaking through in this place and and around in our celebrations around the world. But on this day, we won't just have a glimpse of God's presence. It won't just be God's presence and God's spirit breaking into pockets around us. We will be in the presence of God's fullness. The fullness of God will be there. And that's why there'll be no more mourning or no more crying, because God's fullness will be there. We will be with him, and he will be our God. There will be no separation between us and God, no separation from the one who has ultimate authority, no separation from the one seated on the glorious throne. We will be with our King Jesus forever. How will he come? In glory, in majesty, in power, in view of every, in view of every eye, in view of every nation, There'll be no mistaking. We will see our King Jesus return, and we will be with him. But then maybe we get to the point of the message. That's all great. We've got a great inheritance coming. Jesus is coming back. We get really excited. But then maybe this is another source of the less excitement, because then we get to the point about judgment. And judgment is a word that maybe makes people feel uncomfortable. Maybe you're feeling uncomfortable right now as I start to say the word judgment a lot. I'm going to say it a lot, sorry. And in fact, I've been speaking to people over the last few weeks um, about preparing to be part of the Creed series, about preparing a message, and people seem excited initially. They want to talk about it, and they say, oh, what are you preaching on? Which bit? And I say, oh, he'll come to judge the living and the dead. And suddenly they want to talk about the weather or the traffic or anything and anything but this idea of judgment. And when we, I was thinking about this idea, and judgment and judging has got such a negative connotation that when we talk about being judged, We never feel the need to clarify, oh, I went somewhere new and I felt like they judged me. We don't feel the need to clarify and say, I felt like they judged me badly or they judged me harshly or they judged me negatively. We just say they judged me and we instantly know, oh, that means it was bad. But we need to reclaim the word judgment in this context. We need to reclaim the word judge 
in this context. Because Jesus doesn't bring a negative type of judgment. Jesus on this day will bring justice. And justice is a word I think that we can get behind. Justice is a good thing. We look around our world, we see injustice, and we see that's wrong, and we want to bring justice. We can get behind the concept of justice, because justice is a good thing. And that is what Jesus is coming to bring. Because God himself, he is just. He doesn't just like justice. He doesn't think justice is a good thing. He is just. In Deuteronomy 32, speaking of God, it says, he is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. God is just. I've been reading the book of Isaiah recently, and the book of Isaiah talks an awful lot about judgment and about justice. There's a a lot of warnings in the book of Isaiah where God is writing to the people at the time, Israel and the surrounding nations. He's writing at a time where there's a lot of injustice. Isaiah is seeing cities and nations falling apart because corruption has gone in the way, because greed and pride and arrogance and selfishness are causing grave injustice. And God uses Isaiah to warn the people of a coming judgment. He uses Isaiah to say, guys, this isn't right. This cannot continue. We need to do something about this. Because God sees the oppression of the vulnerable. He sees the weak being preyed upon. He sees people murdering each other. He sees officials and people in charge being corrupt and taking bribes. And he sees this and it breaks his heart because it's his children. God's created each of us equally. So any of us who's oppressed, any of us who suffers an injustice, God sees it and it breaks his heart. And he wants to bring justice. He can't ignore it. He doesn't ignore justice, injustice, because he is just. So through Isaiah, there's this pattern of him writing and saying, judgment is coming. But what I love about God, and what's so interesting when you read through the book of Isaiah, is that God doesn't say, and this has been happening over a long time, the injustice. God doesn't just say, right, it's done now. You've had your chance. It's all over. Judgment's coming right now. He says, he warns them. He tells them, guys, this state of affairs is not right. We need to set this right. But he gives people a chance to turn. He gives people a chance to change their ways. In Isaiah 1, it says, in Isaiah 1, 16, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they were red as crimson, they will be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of this land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. God does eventually have to say, guys, there's an opportunity. He wants us to turn, but he says he can't just ignore it indefinitely. And that's why this day of judgment when Jesus returns is coming, because God cannot ignore injustice indefinitely. But as I mentioned, there's this pattern of God warning and saying, but then this is what God says. And this is from Isaiah 30, 18, where another time where God explains some of the things that are happening that are wrong. And then he says this, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. 
Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. The Lord our God, he longs to be gracious to us. He wants to be gracious to us. He wants to be compassionate to us. And that's why I believe we have a great hope for the day that's coming. We have a great hope for this day because the one who's coming to judge, the one who's coming to bring justice, he's not some unknown, hard-hearted, bloodthirsty, vengeful tyrant who's hell-bent on causing pain and inflicting punishment. He's the one who longs to be compassionate to us. He longs to be gracious to us. He wants to restore justice. He comes to judge to restore justice. In Isaiah 16, verse 5, it says, In love, in love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it. One from the house of David, that is Jesus. One who, in judging, seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. One who, in judging, seeks justice and speeds the cause of the righteous. But maybe we're anxious or worried about this day. We lose our hope and excitement because we are worried what the verdict will be. We're worried what Jesus will say to us on that day when we stand before him. And honestly, I can't tell you this morning what Jesus will say. Because Jesus is the one who judges. Jesus is the one who has the authority. I have no authority to cast any judgment over you, just like you guys have no authority to cast judgment over anybody. Jesus is the one who judges. Jesus is the one who knows what he will say on that day. So maybe we're anxious thinking, will he say, well done? Or will he say, what have you done? And we can't know. We don't know what Jesus will say. But we do know about Jesus. We do know the character and the nature of the judge who is coming back. We do know that the one we stand before is not like any human judge who's judging based on a bad perspective or maybe judging based on a lie they've been heard or bad evidence they've been given. Jesus is not going to come on a bad day and take out his anger on us. Our king, our judge, is one who judges to seek justice and to speed the cause of the righteous. And this is where I think our message gets really, really good and we should get really excited because Who are the righteous? Who are those who are right with God, who have right standing with God, who can stand before him? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The righteous, those right with God, are the ones who would simply believe in Jesus. Those who are righteous are the ones who would believe. Because the first time that Jesus came, he came to take the punishment for our injustice. He came to take the punishment, as we've said already this morning, to take the punishment for the injustice of the world so that it wouldn't go unpunished. But he came to take it so that we could stand right with God, so that we could be clean, forgiven, right with God, and that we could inherit the kingdom. Because the one who comes back to judge... He first came to save. The one who comes back to judge, he first came to save. He could have stayed in heaven. We could be talking about Jesus' first coming being on that day. But he had a different plan. He came down from heaven. He put on flesh. He lived a human. He died on the cross. He rose again, defeating death, so that we could stand right with God, so that we could have the inheritance that he died for. We could have the inheritance that he died for. So on that day when we give an account before our judge, we give an account before Jesus. 
We give an account before the one who came to save us. We give an account before the one who longs to be gracious to us, who longs to be compassionate to us. Why will he judge? To bring justice, to set the world right, so that we can inherit the kingdom where God will be in his fullness, where justice, where injustice has no place. But then what can we do then? We're going to give an account before Jesus on this day. So what can we do to be ready for this day? How do we respond to the knowledge that Jesus is coming back? How can we be ready to give an account? I want to suggest this to us today. We keep it simple. Just keep it simple. Because it would be easy to get bogged down in the controversy and the confusion that's out there about this day, to get lost in the when's it going to happen and to get lost in all these different questions that we could have. And I'm not saying we shouldn't understand them, that we shouldn't be educated about this topic. In fact, from doing research for this, I'm going to continue to try and understand more about this day because the Bible has so much to say and we should be aware and we should be you know, alert of what is coming. But... We shouldn't get lost down the rabbit hole of trying to figure all these things out. We need to keep it simple and keep the main thing the main thing. I was reading through the different passages where this day is mentioned, and I read through this in 2 Timothy, and I want to share this with you guys because this is the great Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who had a lot to say about this coming judgment, about Jesus' return. He's the one who called it our blessed hope. And he's writing to one of his protégés, Timothy. He's writing about the event of Jesus' return. And I'm going to read this from the message paraphrase because we really capture Paul's heart, I feel, in this. He says this. This is 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 and 2. I can't impress this on you too strongly. God is looking over your shoulder. Christ himself is the judge with the final say on everyone, living and dead. He is about to break into the open with his rule. So, proclaim the message with intensity. Keep on your watch. Challenge, warn, and urge your people. Don't ever quit. Just keep it simple. Paul's message to Timothy is, hey, Timothy, Jesus is going to return. We don't know when, so be ready. With urgency, be ready. And how, do, how, Timothy can, how does he tell Timothy to be ready? to preach the message, to tell people about this day. How can we be ready? We need to get the message out. We need to take Paul's charge that he gave to Timothy and apply that to our lives. We need to proclaim the message. To be ready for this day, we need to get the message out. We need to help others be ready for this day by getting the message out. The world needs to hear our message. The world needs to know about the returning king. The world needs to know about the Father in heaven who loves them. The world needs to know about Jesus and his great love. It's our responsibility, guys, to get that message out. You know, it started with few around Jesus when he died. They got the message out. Then the message spread further and further and further until we stand here today, blessed by the fact that those guys got the message out. But now the responsibility is on us to get the message out. That's why we talk about doing so much going wider, because we want to get the message out. In light of Jesus' return, we need to get the message out. In Romans 10, this is Paul writing again, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? 
And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? How can they hear without somebody preaching to them? How can our friends, our families, our communities know about Jesus and believe in him unless we are to go and preach to them? And it's, you could look at me this morning and say, well, it's easy for you to say, Brad, because they've given you a mic on a Sunday to preach the message from a platform. But I want to tell you that the message is not just preached from a platform on a Sunday morning. The message is preached in how we live our lives. I did not hear the message from the platform on a Sunday morning. I heard the message from how my sister lived her life, how she loved people, how she forgave people, how she treated me. And it spoke loud and clear to me, the message of Jesus on her wedding day. Because on her wedding day, the day when everyone tells you it's all about the bride, the bride is the center of attention, it's her day, it's all about her. Her and her husband put Jesus in the middle. They made Jesus the focus of their wedding, and it rocked my perception of who Jesus was and what Christianity was all about. It preached the message to me in the way that they organized their wedding. There's so many ways that we can preach the message to people in how we live our life, in how we spend our time, in how we spend our money, in how we use what we have been given. We preach the message not just from the platform, but in everything we do in our daily lives. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's one size fits all. You know, we all have different ways that we can bring, that we can get the message out, that we can preach the message. But if we can be people who are generous, who are kind, who are, who are giving, who are loving, and you know, if we can love people when it's hard, if we can be generous when we have little, if we can be people who love when the world tells us we don't need to or somebody's treated us badly and we can stand and forgive them, that testimony will speak to the message that we're trying to proclaim. So let's be the people who are transformed by Jesus' love and who preach the message through all we do. We need to get the message out. But see, Jesus also taught in Matthew 25 about a story where there was three servants and their master was going away. So he gave them all a different, different bags of gold and, and gave them their possession whilst he was away. And whilst he, while the master was away, two of these guys did something with what they had been given. They, they reaped a reward from it. They invested it. They used it. And they had a reward when their master returned. But one of them buried it, ignored it, just kept it safe, but just kept it out of the way. Didn't tell anybody. Didn't do anything with it. And when the master came back, he's saying, why didn't you use what I'd given you? Why didn't you use what I had given you? And I think Jesus taught this around the time he was teaching people about his return, about the second coming. Because he's trying to tell them, guys, Whilst I'm away, whilst Jesus is away at the moment, he has given us all things to use. He has given us all opportunities. He's given us all money. He's given us all time. He's given us all energy, gifts, and talents. And we need to use them to build his kingdom here. We need to use them whilst he is away. Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, verse 9 and 10, he taught us the Lord's Prayer of how we should pray whilst he is away. And he told us this, Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the kingdom is coming in all its fullness when Jesus returns. But until that day, we are to pray, God, your kingdom come. We are to pray, God, your kingdom come. And then we are to back that up with how we act. We say, God, your kingdom come. And then if I may add, we say, God, 
Use me to bring your kingdom. God, show me how I can bring your kingdom. What can I do with what you've given me to bring your kingdom? That might seem like a really hard thing to say. How do we bring the kingdom of God? How do we bring the kingdom to earth? In Isaiah, it says we should seek justice. We should defend the oppressed. We should take up the cause of the orphan. We should plead the case of the widow. In Matthew, Jesus teaches that the righteous... Those who will have this inheritance are those who will, feed, who will feed the hungry, who will clothe the naked. The kingdom, every time Jesus taught about the kingdom, he taught about restoring parity and redeeming dignity. He taught about setting everyone on an equal plane because we're all children of God. We're all created in God's image. So when God sees people not treated as one created in God's image, he wants justice in that situation, and it's our responsibility to use what we've been given by God until the day he returns, to use it to bring the kingdom here. And that might seem, as I said, like a big ask. What can we do? Well, I love that last week we spent time looking at our Look Cambridge projects, because our Look Cambridge projects, projects that we do out in the community, they're kingdom bringing. They bring the kingdom. So if you're unsure how you can respond, unsure where you can get involved, speak to the people running those Look Cambridge projects. Ask to get involved in them. Because fighting poverty, fighting slavery, housing the homeless, loving our neighbor, that's bringing the kingdom to earth. That's responding and using all that we have. Maybe you can give your time, maybe you can give your talent to those things to bring the kingdom to earth. The band would like to come and, and join me. I'm, I'm, nearly, I'm nearly finished. So until the day Jesus comes, what can we do to get the message out? We can live our lives in a way that points to him. We can get the message out, and we should bring the kingdom to earth. How will he come? In glory and in majesty. In view of every eye, every nation, nobody will miss the moment Jesus returns. Nobody will miss it. We will all see it. Why will he judge? To bring justice, to set things right, to wipe away every tear from the eye so there would be a place where there is no more mourning or crying or pain, to bring justice, to set things right. And how can we be ready? Keep it simple. We get the message out and we use what God has given us to bring his kingdom to earth. But before I finish, before I close, we've talked about being ready for this day. We've talked about how we can prepare, how we can be ready, how we can get the message out. But maybe some of you here are anxious for this day or worried about this day because maybe you don't know where you stand with Jesus. Because Jesus is coming back for his followers. And maybe you say today, well, I'm not, I don't know if I'm one of Jesus' followers. You don't know maybe if you're going to be with the sheep or with the goats. You have anxiety about or fear about what's going to happen on this day. But see, that's the good news that we spoke about, that Jesus came, that Jesus died and, was risen and rose again so that all who believe in him could stand right with God, so that all who believe in him could inherit the kingdom. We can have certainty of which, whether we're going to be with the sheep or the goats on that day because we can place our faith in Jesus and know that he is coming back for us, his sheep. But today, if you don't feel like you're a sheep, today's your day to join the flock. Today's your day to join the flock, to become a sheep, to know with certainty where you're gonna be on that day, that you can be with Jesus. Because as I've been preparing this, I've been asking myself this question over and over again. Where would Jesus want us on that day? Where does he want us? 
I think we can know now that Jesus wants us on the right. He wants us with him. Look at the cross. The cross tells us all we need to know about where Jesus wants us. He loves us so much that he came first to save. So when he comes back, do you know where you're going to stand? Do you know where you're going to be? If you don't, we're going to pray a prayer in a moment. We're going to give opportunity for you to respond, for you to say, I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to, be, I want to believe in you. I want to declare that Jesus is my Lord. I want to declare that I'm with you, Jesus. I'm on your team. I'm on your side. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to close our eyes and then we're going to pray this prayer all together. We're going to pray supporting those who are saying it for the first time or maybe you once had confidence and hope for this day but you've lost it because you feel disconnected from Jesus. Well, today is your chance to return. Today is your chance to say, yeah, I want to be back with you, Jesus. We're going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to do something really bold and really brave. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand one, so that we can celebrate because we want to celebrate anyone who joins the flock today and we want to also give you a gift. We want to give you a gift to help you because this decision is not just about what's going to happen on the day Jesus returns. It's about what you can do in the meantime. God wants to equip you. God wants to love you or love on you right now. He wants to be gracious to you from this moment on forever. So we're going to pray together now. Repeat after me and we can support those who are doing it for the first time or maybe reconnecting. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you gave your life for me. Sorry that I've gone my own way. Today I choose to believe in you. I choose to declare that you are the Lord of my life. I choose to be ready for your return. In your mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. If we just keep our heads bowed, if that's anyone here who's prayed that today, would you just be bold and brave and raise your hand and let us know so we can celebrate with you and we can give you a gift. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. Thank you, Jesus, that you first came to save us. Thank you, Lord, that you are returning for a day that we will be united with you, where we will stand in your presence, where we will worship you in your presence, where we will be with you. There will be no separation. God, thank you that you've equipped us and called us to be those who proclaim your message, to be those who bring your kingdom. So God, I pray today that you would help us know how we can bring your kingdom, that you would encourage us in the ways that we can bring your kingdom here on earth.